Daniel Lebetsky, founder and executive chairman of Kind Snacks, envisions a world with more kindness and empathy. As the son of a Holocaust survivor, Daniel strives to channel business and citizenry toward building bridges rather than conflict. Today, when social media is turning all of us into, you know, spending so much of our time with digital devices, it's so important that we remember to just have a little bit more compassion, a little bit more curiosity, a little bit more courage, to be a little bit less judgmental, and uh, to recognize our role and our power in, in trying to be part of that change. Daniel joined host Andrew Kaufman and the Bush Institute's Chris Walsh to discuss his civic movements, One Voice and Starts With Us, as well as his family's journey, the current situation in Israel and Gaza, the importance of pluralism, and his love of magic on this episode of The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Today we are joined by Daniel Lebetsky, founder of Kind Snacks, and is making movements that are aimed at making the world a better place with one voice and starts with us. You might also recognize him and his voice as a guest shark on Shark Tank. He's actually the third shark we've had on the Strategist after Mark Cuban and Damon John have also been on. Amazing people, both of them. They are they their episodes were fantastic, and I have equally high hopes for yours. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure being here. Um, I just got a chance to meet with President Bush and. What an incredible conversation. I was just telling you guys what I really like about the talk he gave to the presidential scholars is his ability to speak with so much moral clarity because he's so funny and self-effacing and he just really makes so fun about himself. And so he he really gets through and it's a very special gift that a lot of politicians nowadays don't have. No, he we his his motto that we've embraced here with us is, is it's in the podcast name the strategist. We, exactly, we take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And and yeah. he's he's great with making fun of himself and with uh, understanding that he's a man with foibles, just like every other man on this earth. And yeah. we are we are lucky to have him as a kind of our our guiding voice. Also, another guiding voice in this world is Chris Walsh, our director of Freedom and Democracy, who's also our co-host today. Chris, thank you again for helping us once again. Andrew, always good to be here. I got to tell you, I told my wife this morning who we were interviewing, and she said, are you going to get some kind bars out of this? And I said, we conduct ourselves with integrity here. But now that the seed is... We we can make that happen. (laughs) A couple pallets show up at my house. People will talk to your people. (laughs) Perfect. Well, let's let's hear... uh, and you founded one of these, this incredible brand that's not just about the product, but about the the world, making the world a better place and the process of doing it. Can you talk about how, what inspired you to make this company and how, you know, your background, what led you to this, down this path? Well, I was six months old. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> We're going all the way back. <laughs> My background. I'm a confused Mexican Jewish uh, American that whose father was a Holocaust survivor, right after Stanford Law School, I started a company called PeaceWorks to use business as a bridge to get neighbors to work together. So we got Israelis, Palestinians, Jordanians, Egyptians, Turks to trade with one another. And it was a really cool concept, but it was not very well executed from a business standpoint. It was actually profitable every year, but it didn't grow a ton. Mm -hmm. But along the way, I just made so many mistakes and I learned from those mistakes and I kept going store by store, door by door, selling my uh, products. 
and feeling like I needed a snack for me to feel comfortable eating that was healthy but also tasty, that was wholesome but also convenient. And that's how I came up with the idea for kind as a snack that I, you know, that would be kind to your body, to your taste buds, and to your world. But it's there's a social element to it too. It's not it's not just about the food. Yeah, well, it has a couple different elements. First, um, because of PeaceWorks, I'd fallen in love with the ability of use market forces to do something positive, to actually create sustainable and scalable uh, mechanisms. I had already by then started a couple nonprofits, and sometimes nonprofit work is essential and you cannot have a business model for it. But when you're able to channel market forces to do something positive, I think it's it's more sustainable and, and, and more exciting for me. So when I had the idea for what became kind, I wanted it to also have a goal beyond just making money. And um, it's first in terms of the nutritional mission, what everything we make leads with nutrient-dense ingredients. But it's also about helping discover kindness in one another and foster kindness towards one another. Um and the reason it's called kind is because of my father. My my father was a Holocaust survivor. He was liberated from the Dachau concentration camp uh, when he was a kid, when he was 15 and a half, by American soldiers who risked their life to liberate an entire continent and people like him. And he, President Bush asked me this question, whether my dad suffered from PTSD. And I, my dad was a very rare person because he most Holocaust survivors either had to shut it out and never talk about it, or they were so consumed with it and they had just so much sadness. And my dad had this rare gift where he talked about it. And when he did, he was consumed and sad for a couple of days. But for the most part, he was just a very kind person to every human being. And he, he reminded us that he survived partly because of kindness of people on the other side also. There was a German soldier that when people were not watching threw a potato by his feet. And I think that, at least the way he told his story of survivorship, that was one of the things that impacted him, not just in the nourishment of that potato that gave him some actual calories, but probably in the recognition of his humanity. Because at that time he was he didn't look human after, you know, two years, three years in the in the concentration camp. And um, when he was meeting the bank president or the bank teller, he was just always very kind to every human being and always made his, his mission to make people laugh and, 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 and enjoy their day. And so that was part of the inspiration for the brand name. So I think it's it's clear that more than just good food is driving you. It's It's more about a mission and people. And I think they call it a teaser in the podcast bit, but you've been investing in organizations that are trying to bridge uh, divides between different peoples, both domestically and internationally. I think we're going to get to that in a minute. But but first, I think these get to things in terms that we are really excited about at the Bush Center. I think it's pluralism. I think it's civic engagement. I think it's good citizenship. But I was actually just involved in a conversation the other night where someone said, yeah, these words all sound great, but what do you actually mean by them? Because they can mean different things to different people. So I'd, I'd like to ask you, what, what do these terms like pluralism and civic engagement and good citizenship mean to you and, and why do they matter? Yeah, for me, civic engagement is key because I tend to get asked, why do you choose to do this? Why are you the one to do it? I, I always wonder how can it be any other way? Because you can never assume that other people are going to do what needs to get done. You have to see yourself as 
part of making this a better world. Like, you know, the, I think it was Gandhi that said, be the change you want to see in the world. But it doesn't need to be, you know, changing the world in every dramatic way. It's changing the world one kind act at a time. Because ultimately the world we live in is a compilation of all those little moments. If we handle ourselves with kindness and respect to our fellow human beings, guess what? Overwhelmingly, our world will be in that light. We cannot profess to want that world and then treat each other like jerks. And today when social media is turning all of us into, you know, spending so much of our time with digital devices, it's so important that we remember to just have a little bit more compassion, a little bit more curiosity, a little bit more courage, to be a little bit less judgmental, and uh, to recognize our role and our power in, in trying to be part of that change. I think 86 to 93% of human beings, depending on how you poll it, are moderates as opposed to extremists. But the challenge is that extremists wake up in the morning and think, how can I advance my cause? And the moderates wake up in the morning and they think, what can I have for breakfast? Mm -hmm. And as long, as long as they don't take action, then extremists are going to hijack our lives. The challenge is move from moderates to builders because extremists have the action potential to become destroyers. And so builders to defeat destroyers must have civic engagement. They must take action to bring light to the world, to build together. And the concept of pluralism for me, you know, as a confused Mexican Jewish American <laughs> uh, who often, you know, when I arrived to Texas when I was 16 years old, um, <laughs> my friend uh, Amber Alonso approached me and she said, you know, Daniel, you need to define yourself. You cannot be, one day I would sit down with a Mexican kids the other day with the black kids the other way with the white kids the other way with the preppy kids the other day with the new age kids the debate kids and I didn't know how to dress so sometimes I was wearing those Michael Jackson pants and someday the other day <laughs> preppy pants I had no idea what I was doing but partly because I didn't know better I was friends with everybody and Amber told me like you have to choose one group you can't be friends with them all but why I, not fortunately that's the question fortunately chose not to not to choose and to be friends with everybody and that was 1984 then you know the the time was like uh those movies like uh what are the names of those movies uh the breakfast club oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all, all those cliques yeah. Yeah. And by the way you arrived from mexico to san antonio texas and right after that first friday they're like please show up at the gym and i show up at this gym like in mexico the gym was like piece of grass where you like there was no nothing and uh and you show up at the gym and it's like and, like people jump through this piece of paper and they're like they're doing 50 flaps and then the football teams and it's like hey goalie go goalie and it was like shocking to me to arrive to you know america it was just so different of of what i was expecting i have no idea why he started telling you this story but i guess pluralism is just, you know, choosing to just be friends with everybody and to uh, build bridges. And without any doubt for me in my experience, what makes this country so magical is that we take the diversity of opinions and thoughts and make it into something stronger. And what that means is letting people, not just respecting people because they have different religions and backgrounds or things, it's also different ideas, finding a way to learn from one another, teaching people more critical thinking, 
less judgmentalism, more forgiveness, less absolutism in our beliefs, more humility. And it's just very dangerous because with social media, we think we have all the answers because our social media algorithms serve us only what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. Yep. You know, I'm just struck by something you said because I think it's so important. And there's so many people who read something like pluralism as code for conformity and you will do this and you must think like us and these people and this group. But what you just said was pluralism is about respecting our differences, but finding the best parts and the intersections of where we agree to find better solutions to common problems. I mean, is that your experience with pluralism? And it's not theoretical. It's very practical. Kind would never have existed or certainly become what it became to start from nothing and become a from $10,000 investment, a $5 billion company, if it wasn't because we created a debate culture, a hearty debate, a respectful debate culture where people, whatever their station, where they were, uh, you know, right out of college or the president of the company, were encouraged to debate issues and challenge conventional wisdom. And what made us outcompete our, 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 our uh, respectful uh, other companies was that we not only worked harder but smarter and that came from a hardy debate culture. The American enterprise system, our democratic system, they all rely on that freedom of the marketplace and the kindness and respect that helps lubricate the machine of democracy, meaning democracy is important, respect and kindness within it is what helps things coalesce. If you dehumanize the other side, if you at all costs will not cooperate with the other side, I don't think it ends well. We, uh, you know, Chris has talked a lot about one of our passions at the Bush Center, pluralism. One of our other passions is immigration. And we are firm believers that um, immigration is a net positive for the United States. Immigrants tend to be entrepreneurial. They tend to to come here and, and start businesses and create a lot more jobs than they quote unquote take away. I think that is looks to be pretty well embodied in in yourself. What tell can you tell us some about your immigration story? Why did your family come to the U.S. and did you always kind of know inside you that you were going to be a man that that starts businesses? Um, first of all, I I want to say that. Immigration, like most of all these uh, seemingly intractable wedge issues, have solutions. And 80% of Americans would probably agree on 80% of the solutions. And we just need political leaders to become leaders and to actually be constructive and and, and address this. Because it's not so hard to think, okay, what policy can we do to welcome people that are going to work hard and to keep out the bad actors that are going to harm our society it's it, it has solutions we just need to work on it but I agree specifically um on on my story my father as i told you uh survived the holocaust and he immigrated to mexico when he was 17 years old he was liberated 15 and a half was first in a hospital then in a refugee camp and then eventually landed in mexico because an aunt and uncle welcomed him and his father after they survived uh, the Holocaust and were liberated by American soldiers. And he educated himself. He only had a third grade education. So he would write, he would read entire used encyclopedias, cover to cover, volume A, volume B, volume C. He um, read thousands of books. He became one of the most educated people I met and spoke nine languages and people would come to him for advice. Hmm. Um, and then he almost sounds like an old Jewish joke, but together with uh, four other Holocaust survivors, 
they built a, a, a business at duty-free stores in the border between Mexico and the United States. And in, you know, uh, border towns like McAllen, Brownsville, El Paso, Harlingen, etc. And Laredo was the headquarters. So we used to come see my dad. And eventually my dad decided that we would move to San Antonio, Texas to be close to his business. And that's how we arrived here. I was 15 and a half when we arrived, 16 uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, because from 15 and a half, you go to 16. You see the genius logic <laughs> in that? That's, that's businessman math right there. <laughs> I was told there would be no math here, so my mind is blown. <laughs> Um, and, and did you kind of know you were going to be an entrepreneur early on? Was that always your vision or did you, did you fall into it? This is one of the hardest questions I get asked is, uh, I don't have a perfect answer. I know that since I was eight years old, I started doing magic shows and I used to be entrepreneurial, but I don't know why. I don't know if it was because I saw my dad's example. I don't know if I was born with it. I don't know if it was based on an urge to be, um, a lot of what I see of who I am of trying to build bridges and a lot of my personality is informed by being the son of a Holocaust survivor and wanting to, like I'm a magician and I think part of the reason that I became a magician is because I wanted to have a skill set so that if God forbid something really bad happened, I could be useful and to survive conflicts. And I also became a magician because I was a kid. I used to have daydreams when I would like develop magical powers and go up. I know I'm, you're going to like, what the hell? Who did we invite to the show? No, not at all. But when I was like 10 or 12 and I had heard for the first time, I guess, from my father about what he went through in, in a concentration camp, I guess the way I handled it is that I would develop, I would, I would daydream that I would develop superpowers and then start throwing fire into the, uh, air and commanding people to start getting along. When I tell this story to my wife, she says, please do not repeat that ever again to any <laughs> other human being. But I was 10, 12 years old and uh, trying to cope with it. And I see, you know, what's going on right now in the Middle East in terms of the horrible crisis unleashed by the terror attacks from Hamas, but leading to so many uh, deaths of innocent Israelis and Palestinians because of the... Um, terror attacks and the need to dismantle the terrorist infrastructure, but it's leading to so many innocent lives. Just thinking about all the kids that are suffering through this and that are um, having to deal with all of that pain and with all of that trauma. You know, I think a lot of people are feeling hopelessness and anger about the situation in Israel and Palestine. And I think they need something positive to see and they need a mo they need some sort of model would you talk a little bit about one voice the organization that you started and what it's doing with israelis and palestinians yes i'll talk about one voice but i'll even speak more broadly than that um this one voice was founded by me and my palestinian israeli co-founder mohammed Darausche back in 2000 we conceived the 2001 2002 and we launched the 2003 um as a movement to recognize, we recognize this back then, that this is not, in spite of what the terrorists and the absolute extremists on either side might want to tell us, this is not a conflict of Israelis versus Palestinians or Muslims versus Jews or Christians. It's a conflict of moderates versus extremists. And for us to win it, it has to be a conflict of builders versus destroyers. Moderates are people who decide to 
have civic engagement mm -hmm. and who, to build something positive and bring light to the world. Terrorists and violent extremists want to divide, destroy, and diminish. Moderates that are builders want to unite, build, and bring light. And so, you know, one of the movement partners of, interestingly, this conflict has impacted our movement in very deep ways. We built the largest grassroots movement, not just on the Israeli side, but on the Palestinian side. We have Palestinian staff in Gaza that are peace workers that are stuck because Hamas won't let them evacuate. We have our my Palestinian um, co-founder, Mohammed's cousin, Awad Daraushe, was killed by the terrorists. This is a Muslim Israeli who was tending to the victims of the music festival where 260 young people were attending a music festival and they were massacred. And Awad was tending to the victims where the Hamas terrorists killed him too. And uh, Isar Shai, the Israeli chair of Darkenu, our partner Israeli movement, his son, uh, whose nickname is Noni, was also killed uh, while trying to protect the village from the terrorist attacks. And I can give you six or eight more stories of uh, our, our former Israeli coach's nephew got killed, our former U.S. CEO's nephew got killed. Like We have a ton of people that were impacted by this. And the only way out of this is, first, we need to dismantle the terror infrastructure because we cannot build when forces of repression will prevent builders from giving rise. You know, you need to have the conditions necessary to build. But after we do that, we need to replace that with hope. We need to provide a clear path for Palestinians to fulfill their aspirations in peace with Israel. And that means working with the Saudi country, with the Saudis, with the Emiratis, with the Egyptians, with all of the countries that have recognized that Muslim fundamentalism and extremism is anathema to Islam and that they have condemned it and work with them together to be builders and to try to, with Israelis, Americans, Europeans, and, and our Arab partners, build a better future. A lot of my Jewish friends ask me whether um, Palestinians have ever opposed Hamas, and they absolutely have. And um, it's very hard because Hamas kills them or, or suppresses them when they try it. But they, in 2009, they were, that 2019, there was a big uprising against them. 2021, there was another effort to stand against them. Some of those people were killed, but there, there have been efforts to do that. And um, the vast majority of Palestinians, the overwhelming majority of Muslims, Jews, Christians, are people that want a better future for their children and they don't want something bad to happen to the others. They just want a better future for the children. We need to become builders. Um, we need to also educate people on our campuses about not dehumanizing one another, the growing horrible actions of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and these, um, these examples of hatred and intimidation and the, the thought that you're going to support Hamas after those terrorists showed no respect for human life, after they took a woman and they cut up open the stomach of a pregnant woman and then stabbed the baby and the mother to death. The fact that you're going to say any means are justified, I cannot, I, there's, we need to change an educational system where any human being thinks that that's acceptable. We need to find a better way of builders 
uh, uniting against destroyers of all kinds. Any violent absolutist that denies the humanity of the other is actually feeding the forces of terror and hatred and condemning their people on the ground with that future because it's very easy to have the luxury thousands of miles away to want an absolute solution that denies the humanity of the other side, that wants to destroy all of Israel from the river to the sea means replace Israel with Palestine. And by the way, Hamas, that's not even its goal. Hamas's goal is to create an Islamic caliphate that will replace all of Israel and the Palestinian Authority and Egypt and Saudi and Jordan with an Islamic caliphate and eventually to rule the entire world. So that, that's not, nobody wants, nobody in the right mind wants that. So we need to do it. Similarly with any expansionist on the Israeli side that deny the humanity of the Palestinians, we need to break the shackles of extremism on both sides and find constructive solutions towards a better future for both sides. Not that I have any strong feelings. About it. <laughs> Clearly not, no. Well, the good news, you know, you, you keep talking about, you, you keep mentioning builders, and I think you're, in a few minutes, you're going to meet with our presidential leadership scholars, and I think, I, I really think you're going to enjoy meeting with this room full of builders. Um, that's really what each of them are in, in their own in their own universe, whatever that universe may be, small or large, they're they're really working toward that. So I, I, uh, you meet with them here in a few minutes, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, we've got to let you go to that. However, before you we let you go, you mentioned briefly that you are into magic um i've, I've got here do you do card tricks what, are you an illusionist are you a sleight of hand guy what's i your... love everything but my favorite part is mentalism where like i can uh, try to get inside your head and uh, see what you're uh, what you're thinking but i'm not going to do that right now but, oh, right because okay. that will take us a little too long but right now i'll just show you all right um how i can take this Wait. and make it. so i i oh. took a little cap <laughs> i took a little cap and i Gone. Oh. Wait, to our listeners I'll who can't I'll see I'll it. No, no, don't, don't, don't worry. We're, we're getting this. Oh! <laughs> Magic. Magic. And the podcast listeners won't get it, but the bottle cap disappeared. And check us out on social media, too. I actually see it. Daniel, this has really been a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for spending this time with us Thank and you. for um, meeting with the Presidential Leadership Scholars. We look forward to hopefully seeing you again soon. Thank you for your first magician. Work. That's magician true. That is true. First yeah. magician on the Strategist. First magic trick done live on the Strategist. So great to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program, visit presidentialleadershipscholars.org. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Let us know what you think at the Bush Center on your favorite social media platform. Thank you for listening.